podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. The boys are back. Blitz Week is still going, and we got another great guest for everyone. You can hear him on the radio on 1350 and on Apple Podcasts. He is the new best in the biz. I tell you what, I don't think there's a better sports talk host in the greater Midwest region. It's the man. It's the myth. It's the legend, John Kurtz. John, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Happy to be back here. Happy to see you rocking your uh, sweet Bosco's Boys hat right now. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I got the Bosco's Boys hat. I have the koozies. I, I have all the gear out here. Uh, and then, as always, to anyone who, who's wanting a koozie, we give you opportunities. We have the uh, Dream College Football Road Trip podcast tweet in. You can do it late. That show's uh, been published for about a week now. But, hey, you, you tweet in your road trip. I'll send you a koozie. Buy some stuff from manscaped.com. We'll talk about them later, I'm sure. I'll send you a koozie. I want to see all the koozies for all 10 home games for victory beers after the game. Um, but I'll, I'll stop rambling. I'll, I'll pay the bills just real quick. Everyone, football season is here. It's time. Build that bankroll. Bet on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Bet on K-State every single game. Go to betonline.ag. They're the exclusive online wagering partner of the entire arm or armchair media network uh you guys have heard it get over there start gambling today so let's just jump into it john because i like talking about football we had to come up with all sorts of crazy stuff to talk about for six months i want to talk about football so we're going to jump into it my question the first one we're going to lead it off is one of the lynch put pins to k-state's offense is hopefully going to be malik knowles do you have any confidence, though, that he's going to be able to be productive for all 10 games, seeing that he was plagued with injuries seemingly all last year? Dude, there is nobody I would rather talk about on the team than Malik Knowles. I freaking love that guy. Um, I do think there's an element here of when you're, when you're in the desert, you're walking in this desert for a very long time, and you come across one, like, little lukewarm, half-drank bottle of water, um, it looks pretty damn good. Now, I think Malik Knowles is actually, I just wrote in K-State Online this past week, in fact, that I think he's got NFL potential. I think he's better than that. But because K-State has been so devoid of, like, legitimate skill position talent and, I mean, a receiver post-Tyler Lockett, it's been pretty barren, to be honest. Um, Malik Knowles stands out more, and you see the potential that he has. I think he's he, he unlocks the entire offense. To me, it's, it's pretty easy to see what he did. Like, I, I know there's a lot of – uh, divisiveness on Skylar Thompson and say what you will about level of competition. Certainly that was a factor, but he was the number one rated passer in the country, according to pro football focus after three weeks last year. And those were the three games where Malik Knowles is actually healthy. It was uh, Mississippi state where he had that injury that then started the parade of injuries that plagued him throughout the rest of the year. And he was throwing to him all the time in those two non-con games before Mississippi state. And then in the Mississippi state game, he has the kickoff return for a touchdown. Like, He's dynamic as hell. Um, 
my confidence, it's, it's tough. I mean, he's one of those prove it guys. Um, I'm going to need to see it because even in his red shirt year in 2018, he was battling injuries throughout that year. Derek Young's been really good about chronicling that and reflecting back on that, that behind the scenes, he was dealing with injuries then because he, he just, he's frail. I mean, he's got the length, he's six, two, so he's got enough height. Um, and I think he's obviously got the athleticism. It's just a matter of can you stay healthy. I will say it sounds like he's on the right track because he got more or less called out by Jason Ray, the wide receivers coach, last year in the middle of the season saying, like, hey, he's gonna ha- he has to do things better to take care of his body. He's bulked up. He's added 14 pounds. That's certainly reason for optimism. Uh, it, it seems to me like everybody feels like he's matured and is, is ready to take that next step. But, you know, some guys' bodies just won't hold up. So it's something that – I'm going to have to see to believe, but I think if you're talking about one player on the offense that can swing the season and swing the ceiling, like raise the ceiling of the offense more than anybody else, to me, it's Malik Knowles, like even above Skylar Thompson. To me, it's Malik Knowles. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And that leads me to that set, the second question I have on the outline, because if Malik Knowles is able to stay healthy and take that big step, all of a sudden you have a whole crop of guys who could be wide receiver number two. And I, I think, you know, Sebastian Ch- Taylor, Joshua Youngblood, Phillip Brooks, Wyking Gill, A, do you think e- any of those guys are going to step up and take that number two wide receiver mantle by the horns? And B, are they going to hit their own ceiling? Because all of a sudden, if you have two, two of those guys that hit their ceiling, I mean, Skyler could be looking like, you know, Jake Waters out there, our favorite. <laughs> Slinging the ball all over the field. Well, the, you mean Daniel Sams, but that's okay. Well, time out. Daniel Sams wouldn't need an elite re- receiver. He's going to make plays if he has, you know, Wamiko JV out there. Uh, Jake needs all the talent. That is true because he damn near beat Oklahoma State and Baylor with Terrell Miller as his number one receiver, but I digress. Um, yeah, I think uh, the hope is that, I mean, the best case scenario is that it's Josh Youngblood just because we've seen – how dynamic he can be as a playmaker on special teams. And I, I think he has that potential. He though feels to me like somebody that still is a year away from being a legitimate number one or number two, like the receiver that we all envision him being. That's no knock on him at all. I mean, by all accounts, that guy works his ass off. Uh, he really does. Like he, you know, I think he to me embodies a lot of what the modern college football player is. He's definitely all about his brand He's definitely all about being out there on social media and has some of those characteristics, but make no mistake, like that dude gets after it. Uh, that dude really works and he's beloved by the coaching staff. So I think he's going to get there. Like we just didn't see enough of it last year for me to be confident that he is going to take that big of a step in a year where there's a pandemic and there was no spring ball and it's just limited what you could do workout wise. And he had off season surgery. Like there's, there's just enough there that holds me back. I, I think if I were to guess who the number two receiver winds up being. I actually think Wyking Gill is probably the best bet. Um, he's not who I would quote unquote want it to be, but Hey, he, he has more potential than I think people give him credit for. He actually I'm trying to remember what his yards per catch was. I wrote about it on K-State online, but his yards per catch uh, was actually very high. I think it was the highest on the team last year. So he made some big plays and he's one of those Bill Snyder kind of guys. Like, you know, they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Like young blood's the, the climbing guy, more athletic coming in, like different kind of swagger and different attitude. Wyking Gill's the former walk-on quarterback who's worked his way up the ladder here. I think for this year, my money would be on Wyking Gill. I 
believe in Sebastian Taylor. I really do because, I mean, his size is really salivating. Uh, but he's had a lot of time in the program, like four years in the program at this point, and we just still haven't seen anything really consistent out of him. Nice into last year, but I think based on what we know about the backgrounds of these players and what we've seen so far in their careers, best bet would be Joaquin Gill. But if I were to power rank who I'd want it to be, I would say Joshua Youngblood, Sebastian Taylor, Joaquin Gill. Just no love for Philip Brooks, eh? You know, Philip Brooks, like, does it definitely deserves respect, and he does get overlooked. And he had a bunch of catches. He just, I think it was like he averaged like under ten yards per catch. Like he just wasn't, he wasn't somebody that was creating a bunch of plays down the field. And feels to me like the other receivers are more dynamic. But nothing against Philly Brooks at all. Yeah, I, I just want to give you a little, little trouble there. I, I think Philip Brooks, I, th- I think he ended up with, I think, third on the team in catches. But Viking Gill, who didn't even play in every game, almost lapped him in yards, if I'm remembering all that correctly. So I, I, think, I think your power ranking of guys is, is, is accurate. So the other spot on the offense that I think, at least me personally, I have no idea how it's going to shake out is running back. We saw how many guys got carries last year and how they really want, you know, a number one and number two and even a number three guy. How would you handicap the backfield and who's going to be getting the bulk of the carries this year? I mean, it's tough. Like, that is a tough one. It honestly feels kind of like it did last year and that there's so so much up in the air. It's a sure bet that Harry Trotter is going to get – uh, a decent amount of carries, especially at the beginning of the year. Now, I think, like, you know, the Jacardier Wrights of the world, even a Deuce Vaughn, who's spoken of very highly as a true freshman, like, they have a chance by the end of the year to uh, work their way to the point where they're taking carries away from everybody else. But I do truly believe, I think one, two to begin the year, I think it's going to be Harry Trotter and Tyler Burns and probably Jacardier Wright uh, mixed in there. Like, those are the three that I would really look to right now. It sounds like uh, there's some question about Joe Ward and what his availability is going to be for this year. So then you start looking down the line at, at some of the young guns, like Deuce Blanc, Keon Mosey, um, some players like that. So it's not as ex- – admittedly, it's not that exciting. Tyler Burns, like his numbers actually are pretty ridiculous last year in garbage time when he was out there. He was great but still as a guy that's a former walk-on and left the program at one point and came back, Snyder guy, and Harry Trotter, another walk-on grinder. Uh, Jacardi, yeah, right, I think has a ton of potential, but still young and green. It's not real sexy. It's not real exciting, but I think it'll be a combination of those three for the most part. Hey, I I think Jacardi Wright's super sexy. I I still dream about him running over Cyclones in that game last year, so he he has all the sex appeal in the world for me as long as he keeps doing that. so, uh, number four, th- this is near and dear to my heart. I think it is to you as well. Uh, we're big Skylar Thompson guys. What is it that you're expecting in his senior year, which is possibly, I'm hearing, probably going to be his final season at K-State, regardless of the new NCAA rules. So, what, what are you expecting out of this year? Yeah, man, I don't want to get sidetracked too much on that, but that, that element of it is fascinating, uh, what he would want to do, because, like, on one hand – he's been in college and school for a long time and he's been through a lot and it's, it's exhausting as someone who loves Skylar. I even have a bit of Skylar fatigue just from having the same discussions about him over and over. And I'm sure he feels the same way. Um, But on the other hand, he had a lot of his career really mismanaged and maybe he looks at it like, Hey, I've got new life with a new coaching staff that believes in me. That's a fascinating 
discussion that will happen at some point. I think as long as things stay relatively okay from a weapons standpoint, like the health of his weapons and the health of his offensive line, as long as K-State's not playing a game like LSU right now where they have four healthy offensive linemen, um, I think he'll be good. I think he'll take another step forward. I think he'll play like a top four or five quarterback, like a top half of the league quarterback in the Big 12 because that's what I think he is. And it's crazy to me that he's become – he's just such a perfect – like the the good old ink block test where you show – splatter some ink on a page and one person can see something totally different than somebody else. Um, I don't think he's as good as sometimes pro football focus makes him out to be, but I don't think he's half as bad as some K-State online would have you believe uh, he actually is. And I think he will continue to take a step. He took a step last year when he had a, a coaching staff that totally believed in him. And when he actually had some weapons, he was great. But a lot of the year he didn't have a healthy Malik Knowles. And you're talking about, yeah, like, Viking Gill, you know, Phillip Brooks, these guys being the receivers out there that he has to throw to. He's just – he's never had dynamic weapons. Like, if you took him and put him in Texas Tech's offense, like Alan Bowman has been in to put up some really gaudy stats, I think Skyler could do the same thing. If they switch places, we'd feel a lot differently about both quarterbacks. But he had a coaching staff that didn't ever totally believe in him. He didn't have great offensive weapons. He's been in an offense that's not conducive to putting up numbers. I just – I want to vomit every time I see – Stats thrown up about, like, you know, just his raw, gross statistics as a quarterback. Like, just listen. Chris Kleiman, let me, let me make this case. Chris Kleiman and his history of quarterbacks, right? Trey Lance is going to be a first-round pick. That's the guy that Kleiman brought into North Dakota State before he left. Before that, it was Easton Stick, who was, you know, accomplishment-wise, one of the most accomplished quarterbacks in FCS football history and was a draft pick and out of North Dakota State and is still on the, the Chargers roster. Before that, he's working with Carson Wentz, and we know about him. Like, I think they can scout the position. They've got Jake Rubley coming in, right, who's the highest-rated recruit in 15 years in the program. Their track record with quarterbacks is pretty damn good, and those guys absolutely love Skylar Thompson. So that tells me a lot right there, too, uh, about what kind of a quarterback he can be. I think he'll take a step. I don't think he's going to be a top-10 quarterback in the country, but I think he will be a good Big 12 quarterback this year. Yep, and that brings me to the sub-point to this. Is it going to be enough this year to where he can leave K-State if he, if he does, in fact, leave where he is beloved, where people think fondly upon him, or is he going to be the ink blot lightning rod for the entirety of his life when, it, when K-State fans talk about quarterbacks in the past? It's, it's a tough one because they, I feel for him that, that his senior year, like everything crescendos, into the weirdest, most disjointed season in college football history. Uh, because I just don't know. I mean, we're a couple weeks out, and I still am questioning how much this season is really going to mean to anybody. Like, how much are we going to wind up valuing what happens this season? Because we're sitting here two weeks away. K-State's got these seven positive tests, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, like, these guys may not be able to play so there's week one, you're already going to be shorthanded. Like it may just turn into you're going to be so shorthanded and the schedule will be so weird that there's no real way to judge this as anything relatively normal, which I think to me removes any way for him to leave as, as this beloved figure. Uh, honestly, I feel like right now the only way he leaves is a really truly universally beloved quarterback, or at least that there's a consensus like, hey, this guy was really good 
is if he were to stick around for another year. Um, I just think the circumstances right now, if I were a betting man, the circumstances are going to dictate that this year is just going to be so weird that it'll be kind of thing, right? Like if it goes really well, um, the detractors will be able to say, well, you played Oklahoma and half their secondary was out with COVID or whatever, you, you know, you beat Texas, but congratulations, they were missing their best pass rusher and a bunch of key members of their defense. And then if it goes the other way, it'll be the same thing. Like, well, K-State didn't have four of their receivers. You know, you see how this goes, right, based on the circumstances this year. I think it'll take just a normal year and being around in 2021 for that to happen. Definitely. We'll, we'll give the defensive side of the ball a little love. Uh, there, there's a ton of experience, maybe the most experienced position group uh, on the team. You have Hughes and Sullivan who are probably going to be starters. you got Daniel Green and Cody Fletcher behind them. If this were going to be a regular year, how would they stack up, you know, in that position group versus rest of the Big 12? Yeah, without having probably as intimate a knowledge as I normally would about the rest of the league at linebacker, like I think we still need to find out about Justin Hughes, right, and how how healthy he is actually going to be because that is a lot to come. I mean, it was an ACL, MCL, and meniscus that he's all coming back from. That's a lot. Um, but I, I believe in him. I mean, I, I think even if he's not quite the athlete that he used to be, um, he's an emotional, fiery guy enough that I think those kind of things matter. I think he's a great leader. I think he'll be in the right place because he's had all this extra time to learn the playbook and stuff. Like, I, I think he'll be okay. And I think Elijah Sullivan is, is an underrated linebacker. And those two go way back high school teammates at Carter, Georgia. Like, I think there will be a chemistry between them, and I really like him. I've always liked Daniel Green. I think he still is, pardon the pun, but very green um, in a lot of areas and needs to come along. But I think they'd be adequate. Like, I think they'd be average to slightly above average would be my guess in the Big 12 at linebacker right now, uh, depending on the health of, of Justin Hughes. Definitely. And we'll wrap up your unique questions with this. Sean Snyder, he's not an analyst anymore. He, he's out at USC with Clay Helton. You know, God help his soul. No football out in L.A. Sean's probably going crazy. But we're going to be breaking in a new punter. Uh, there's always going to be expectations on special teams at K-State that probably isn't at any other place in America. Uh, where is your confidence level that they're, A, going to be fine at punter and, B, B and B, sorry, uh, still stay high level across all phases. And again, with a crazy off season, I'm guessing special teams work has fallen by the wayside just that. Yeah, it's like one of those things that nobody nobody really talks about at all. I know Derek asked uh, Coach Kleiman about it the other day, and a punter it sounded like, like Ty Zentner. I want to say that he said Ty Zentner was hurt. Yeah, I think groin injury. Okay, that's the calf. Yeah. Maybe it's lower body. Which is bad I think, for Right. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I think I think Zentner is. I think he's a stud. I think he'll be really good if he can if he can be healthy. I guess I would just put it like this: They surprised me with how effective they were on special teams in year one, taking things over um, and doing it in a completely different way. The way that they devote time and energy and and coaching resources to special teams. I still think they have a. I think they have a number of great options at returner, led by a guy who's a freshman All-American and, and Josh Youngblood. I think Blake Lynch obviously is a is a very good kicker. Um, I think there's enough there. Um, shout out to Stanton Weber also being a, a holdover from the last staff, who I think is brilliant with special teams work. I think there's enough there for 
me to be pretty confident that, especially relatively speaking to the rest of college football, where as things start to fall by the wayside and you're trying to keep as much together as you can, special teams probably has slumped other places too. I think relatively speaking, they'll be all right. Um, I think over the big picture, like the Chris Kleiman era, when we take a step back and look at it compared to the Bill Snyder era, I don't think that they'll hold up to the same caliber overall in special teams because it was just such a high bar set by uh, Sean Snyder when they were here. But I think as it concerns the short term and even long term, I don't think it will be a steep enough drop off to be a big deal. So if it drops off some, I think it won't be, I think it will be fairly negligible for the team this year. Definitely. It's, it's time to move on. But before we do, you're always super proud about your haircut, aren't you? That is correct. Shout out to my girl, Crystal Gaia. Has it looking great all the time? Well, I'll tell you what, if you want to make sure your hair below your neck is looking as good as it is on your head, head over to manscaped.com. Use promo code armchair, the lawnmower 3.0. John, you can shave your entire body from neck all the way down to your toes if you want to with the lawnmower 3.0. They got LED light, 90-minute batteries. You can do it in the shower, and guess what? No nicks or snags, so you can be looking good for whenever you get back in the on the dating apps and start slaying all the uh, fine, you know, 25 and older crowd in Manhattan, as I know you do. Uh, and guess what? You could probably even make bets on that over at betonline.ag because you can bet on how much Floyd Money Mayweather's ice uh, costs. That's right. He has his own web show on betonline.ag where you can guess how much his chain costs. You might get a prize. So check out our sponsors, betonline.ag, manscaped.com. Use promo code armchair for 20% off and free shipping. So it's time. Uh, the Boneheads are very religious on holding our guests during Blitz Week to their predictions. So no pressure or anything, but it's time. We've already gotten through about uh, a handful of them, so we'll see how you uh, stack up against everyone else. But before we do it, we've asked everyone this question uh, because it has been just a wild, you know, six months uh, dating back to uh, the March when COVID really kicked off. How would you grade K-State Athletics and Gene Taylor and then also Chris Kleiman, their handling of the pandemic, but not only just the pandemic, but all the racial unrest that's gone on across the country in college athletics over the past six months? I think about as well as you possibly could. Like, I think what's happened across the rest of the league is accentuated to me how lucky K-State is to have Chris Kleiman. And Gene Taylor goes along with that, obviously, as well. I mean, he hired him, and I think Gene's done a lot of great things. But to me, like, football is what matters most. Football is where all the attention is. And you have to have a coach in 2020. Like, the, the job responsibilities, if we're talking about, like, you're on Indeed.com and you're looking at applying to be the head coach at a Power 5 school these days, the requirements have changed a lot in the last six months. Um, it's been rapidly changing, but that's been accelerated times 10 in the last six months with everything that's happened. You have to coach guys a different way. You have to be sensitive to their wants and needs and what's turning into now a player empowerment era. And Chris Klein has been, I think, wonderful with that. I think, you know, he has – let's just start – we'll start with the pandemic, right? So the pandemic, I think, one, he's very organized. I think he's very open with the lines of communication with the players where they feel like they can go talk to him about anything. I think he's willing to do whatever it takes to help these guys. He had Josh Youngblood staying at his house, for God's sake. 
um, because of the situation he was in with, with his surgery. Um, I think all that stuff really matters. I mean, we just heard Wayne Jones say this past week, literally he goes balls to the wall because he think he thinks climbing is the best coach in the country and he'll do anything for that guy. I mean, you know, Wayne Jones, Wayne Jones is a dude that I'll just put it this way. Like Wayne Jones, isn't going to hand out that kind of a compliment like candy to, to some guy <laughs> attitude to him. Um, and I think that tells you all you need to know about like what climbing is. And I, I think, in a pandemic, in a situation where stuff is going haywire, that's where you find out how good leadership truly is. When it's something that nobody really knows how to handle, good leadership will shine through. And I think that's been very apparent that Chris Kleiman has, has been a guy that has great leadership from the top down in his program. Um, and then as far as like the, the social justice stuff, you know, I, I, Chris Kleiman, there are some you know, perhaps even woker than I that would say, statement you know when the George Floyd killing first happened wasn't strong enough and you know Chris Kleiman is just not a real social media driven guy and he seemingly was pretty hands-off with a lot of that stuff for him personally but what he did was give freedom to not only his players but his staff to do whatever they wanted to and make the statement that they wanted to make and that included Connor Riley who was very strong and pointed with everything that he said, not only just on social media, but talking to us in interviews. And I think that stuff is important to, to allow everybody, you know, the freedom to be able to express themselves the way that they want to. And that's when we start moving up the ladder to Gene Taylor, where I think the fact that, I mean, listen, I drive by, I drive on Kimball every single day to work. And, you know, for months there, it was, there was Black Lives Matter on the big new video banner board that's like out facing Kimball outside the, the football complex. And I think that was a necessary step at a time when they had to have it. Um, the Jaden McNeil stuff happens. And I think, I think K-State did a pretty good job there. I, I will be honest, like some of the university level response, I thought they, they left the players high and dry a bit. Um, but as far as like what Gene Taylor could do and communicating with the players and allowing them to express themselves, I think they've done an excellent job. And meanwhile, in the Big 12, you have Mike Gundy, with his comments of, you know, his OAN t-shirt and everything that happened with Chuba Hubbard. He has his comments about uh, coronavirus early on, just wanting the players to get back out there and admitting they run the Oklahoma economy. Gary Patterson's out here using the N word with his players. Uh, Les Miles is shaming guys who opt out and saying that they're opting into fear and the pandemic. Like just, they just <laughs> climbing and company just back and, you know, handle things with ease and grace and everybody else in the league embarrasses themselves because they're not this new breed of college football coach. And it's really Chris Kleiman and Lincoln Riley that stand above everybody else in the league. So I think that's a really long answer to that question, but I think it deserves a lot of nuance. I think they've been not perfect, but very, very good and certainly much better than most of the league. No, I like to hear it. I enjoy your nuance from it being so close uh, to the program and in Manhattan. So I, th I think your answer carries a lot of weight. Um, we'll move back into the football realm. Scotty Hazleton up and left uh, for Michigan State. He's off hunting. He has a lot of money. Uh, although the Big Ten might be saying screw it and start playing in November anyways. That's a shit show up there. But uh, Joe Klanderman got promoted. They brought in Steve Standard. Uh, what, if any, changes are you expecting on that side of the ball, and will it be a step forward or a step back from what Scotty was able to bring last year? I don't, ex I don't expect as much change as we perhaps would have seen had it been a normal year. I think – I want to say even Klanderman had said that at one point in a press conference, like, hey, we do have to scale back some of what we would like to do. And it's not like – 
because they are different guys and Klanerman has mentioned wanting to be perhaps more aggressive, like they're totally different coaches. I mean, they still come from the same coaching tree. Scotty Hazleton was at North Dakota State for a long time. Steve Standard has – he coached with Scotty Hazleton. Like, it's a crazy story where, like, he was either the guy right before or right after Scotty Hazleton at a bunch of these different stops along the way where they've both been coaches. So, there's a lot of crossover and a lot of familiarity there. So, I don't think it's going to be reinventing the wheel, which I think is, is ultimately good because I think what, what Scotty Hazleton did was great. I think Joe Klanerman ultimately is a rising star. Um, how much will that show up in, in this season? I don't know if it'll I, – I would doubt that the defense is going to be significantly better this year because I think they were pretty pretty damn good, uh, especially relative to their talent level last year. So I would expect something fairly similar, and eventually over time you're going to see that Joe Klanderman is a, a guy that's a total stud as a defensive coordinator. And for right now, he comes with a far cheaper price tag and still the familiarity with Kleiman where they know what they're getting. Um, suck to see Scotty Hazleton go, but you just – weren't going to be able to pay that much. And now thank <laughs> that didn't happen because of what's happened with, with COVID and, and the pandemic. So I would say next year, I think they'll be about the same. I think in time, Joe Klanerman is also going to be a very good defensive coordinator, just like Scotty Hazleton. Definitely. Uh, Courtney Messingham, he, uh, he probably had one of the lower approval ratings amongst coaches last year, whether or not he deserved it. I don't know. I'm not going to be the judge for this one, but they are shuffling out five of the top six offensive linemen. Is that going to be a little bit too much for him to start building up a better reputation amongst fans and taking the offense another step forward? Yeah, I'll start with just the, the offensive line in and of itself, the micro first. Um, I think the offensive line might wind up by the end of the year. If they stayed healthy, they'd be just as good or better. Like I – no offense to those guys. Guys that were on the line last year, they, they were not – I mean, I made this point recently about recruiting. Like, those were not overly talented. Scott France was a high three-star. He was a five-seven three-star. But, you know, Nick Kaltmeyer's a transfer from Western Illinois. Adam Holtorf had absolutely nobody offers. Tyler Mitchell had absolutely nobody offers. I mean, and, like, that's your, that's your starting offensive line last year. Those guys were not overly talented. Um, no NFL draft picks. Like, France didn't even land a, a free agent tryout with anybody. So, frankly, I think they were overrated because of the experience that they had. I think Connor Riley really coached them up. Now he gets – you know, there are still guys that he inherited pretty much, but they're guys that he has had a chance to work with now longer. And I think he's starting to put his own stamp on it. And I do think that there is some legitimate talent there. I think obviously the big question is left tackle. And if they can find anything that's just – average at left tackle this year it will go a long ways and I think the offensive line will be just fine so I'm not I don't think it's as big a deal as it's been made out to be because it's real easy to look at a sheet of paper and say okay well those those guys are all gone and they had started x number of games but I think you need to look beyond that with the actual offensive line the offense as a whole like I'm certainly not as down on Courtney Messingham as as a lot of people are, I don't, I don't think he's great. I don't think he, at least from what I've seen this year, is particularly dynamic. Um, but I think he's, I think he's fine. I think he's an adequate offensive coordinator. And we'll come down to putting in some of those other pieces. To me, the biggest difference this year, if you want to make it an extension of the offensive line is getting Briley Moore in there at tight end. And I think having a legit option at tight end and if he can get Malik Knowles to stay healthy, I think it will make him look a lot better as an offensive coordinator because you just, you just have to remember what kind of a roster those guys inherited last year and 
how they were having to try and MacGyver that thing, which obviously is going to affect your play calling as a coordinator. Definitely. All right, let's get into it. Uh, you know, some of these might be easy. If you want to get creative with the answer, feel free. But, you know, we, we just got done talking about the offense. Who's going to be the MVP and why? Man, you know I got to go Skyler. <laughs> you know I got to go Skyler Thompson. Uh, I would love it to be Malik Knowles, but I don't, I don't trust the health there. I think Skyler's is such a rock, like a guy that, you know, he has had his nicks and bruises, but for the most part, he's going to be out there. He, he's been able to stay healthy. I think he's, he's the guy that's going to be able to uh, get the ball downfield. I think he can take off and run. I think his legs don't get as much credit as they probably should. I think his pocket presence will improve. Um, that certainly has been the focus from him and the message that he's trying to get across there. So I, I think it's going to be Skylar Thompson as the offensive MVP. And to me, that's, that's, it's not really a particularly close race. Um, like maybe Briley Moore is probably an honorable mention because I am really high on him and what he can do, but you know, running game is going to be by committee. You have receivers that are either not all that talented, haven't proven anything or haven't been able to stay healthy. Like Skylar's the obvious answer. All right, defensive side of the ball. So far, there's been some chalk there. Are you going to get creative? Trying to bait you. Uh, you're trying to get me to pick someone besides Wyatt Hubert. Um, you know, I, I'm inclined to say Justin Hughes, all right? I'm inclined to say Justin Hughes because, I, I mean, well, even if the stats aren't there, like Wyatt, Wyatt Hubert really is the answer because – so much attention and like watch out for Khalid Duke to have a monster year on the other side at defensive end kind of like Reggie Walker when he was playing with Jordan Willis but yeah uh, Justin Hughes just to be different I'll say because he's I mean he was anointed the heart and soul defense by climbing last year uh before spring ball when his knee injury happened like it's clear how much the team just absolutely loves that guy I think he is – I think he's somebody much like Skyler that is just so hungry for a stat that, like, believes in him and is going to play him and let him roll with making some mistakes. Um, I will say Justin Hughes for some of those reasons. I like it. Um, who are you predicting to be the young breakout player of the year? We're saying redshirt sophomore or younger who is yet to have a big role on the team. So this is just period, not – Offense, defense specific. Yeah, you can go anywhere. You can if you have two, you can give me two, but uh, we only need one for the official record. Yeah, I was trying to think on offense. Like, yeah, my honorable mention here. I, I would go, I would go Jacardier Wright um, as honorable mention here because I think he's going to get a lot of carries and I think he'll have a real chance to do that offensively. But I got to ride the hype machine and, and ride the hype wave, which right now is Duke man um he's got the size and he embodies the whole philosophy of his coaching staff which I freaking love which is just get the athlete ask questions later like figure out the position later and he was a guy that was a receiver in the rivals database and now he's bulked up playing at like 250 at defensive end um and everybody is raving about him and I think it's the combination of his size his skill set what we're hearing about him and the fact that, yeah, the guy on the other end is an NFL draft pick and maybe the best rush end in the conference and Wyatt Hubert. So I think the table set for, uh, for Khalid Duke to have a monster year. I like it. All right. We got three big ones to end us. Assuming it's a 10 game season, what record are you predicting? It was a 10 game season. I would go seven and three. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Feel All pretty, right. Feel pretty good. 
All right. Well, so that leads into this next one. If you're getting seven wins, last year you had Oklahoma. You can make the case for Iowa State or even Mississippi State being big statement wins. Are you going to put your John Kurtz stamp of statement on any possible wins this season? I am so tempted to make it Oklahoma because Oklahoma will be breaking in Spencer Rattler. You know, I, I think his star, but albeit his first conference game, you're not going to have the normal home field advantage that you would by playing in Norman. Uh, Oklahoma's got some issues on their offensive line with injuries. Oklahoma's got some COVID issues uh, right now, which is something that we're just really finding out about today. And their running back situation is crazy right now because Trey Sermon, uh, he transferred, and then um, Kennedy Brooks opted out. So, like, they're down their top three returning running backs of what they thought they would have this year. There are a lot of a lot of things that make Oklahoma shaky, but I, I can't. I that's way to say that I can't go out and actually pick it. Um, I'll say Texas. I'll, I'll give them Texas. I think I think Climate and Company will uh, channel their inner Ron Prince and get Texas. Uh, just kind of a gut feeling on that one. Um, also, I mean, like K-State probably should have won that game last year in Austin, so I think some of that will stick with There you go. And the final question. I hate that this is a question. God willing, it will not be on next year's Blitz Week outline. Uh, is, are we going to get 10 games for K-State? Will K-State play the full 10-game schedule that, that is uh, currently out there? Well, let me pull out my official media member. Oh, no number one foam finger that has coronavirus written down the side of it. And, uh, you know, my little COVID pennant that hangs up in my room that I'm looking at right as I do this and uh, say, no, I do not think that there will be a Okay, Stuart Mandel. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> to be fair, I called out Stuart Mandel on some shit earlier this week, all right? Like, I gave him old Big Gene. Big Gene came out, threw down the law. And I told Stuart Mandel about it. And the next day, he wrote his little mailbag saying, hey, I've actually been too negative about all this stuff. So I dare say that I'm trying to change the narrative out there for you guys. Well, and it's all in vain because obviously you don't believe that your coronavirus's number one fan cancel all sports. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I just – and there's just – there's so much right now. Like, I don't – Riley County today as we're recording this, uh, which is August 28th, had <laughs> – 136 new cases today. Uh, like it's going wild with the students right now. I just, there's enough uncertainty there that I don't feel great about saying that there will be 10 games played. Well, I appreciate it, John. Whether or not we get 10 games, Bosco's boys is still going to be cranking out content. Uh, you know, anyone listening now knows we've done an episode a day all this week. We're going to do the same next week. And, hey, you're, you're the best in the biz when it comes to sports talk in a college uh, town. You're doing two hours of it every day. Um, as always, we'll give our guests the last word. You can plug anything. You can say whatever you want. And then uh, I'll let you get back to your evening. Yeah, I think, like, first and foremost, man, on that same topic, like, just to continue that train of thought, I will say, like, it – it is exhausting. Like, I don't like being the guy that, like, you have to talk about COVID and even the social justice stuff. Like, I'm, I'm very passionate about a lot of it, but, like, it's, it gets exhausting. And I very much, like, I, it was a lot of fun to do this and be back just in the sports realm. And that's come up now. It's, like, peaked its head out over the last two or three weeks where it's, there have been some pretty sportsy shows. And, like, that is – you can believe me or not, but that is – that is what I get off on. Like that, that is more fun to do. I like to have fun while we're doing it and mix it up. But like, 
that's what I really truly like to do. And so I just, I still very much look forward to the day when we can get back to normal and have it be that. But in the meantime, we're doing our best every single day to just make it entertaining, whatever it is that needs to be talked about. Um, so you can listen to uh, my daily radio show, The Game. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, just search The Game, K-M-A-N, uh, and you'll get that every single day. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's just at J-L Kurtz, J-L-K-U-R-T-Z, if you want, like, up to the minute on what's going on. And one thing you can do if you want to help me out, I would really appreciate subscribing to that YouTube channel. We're creeping up toward 1,000 subscribers finally, but it's just uh, John Kurtz on YouTube, you would do me a huge solid if uh, if you went to that. And I do have another podcast, Faithful to Our Colors, that you can also check out on my podcast. It's amazing, I'm the reason Everybody fired up this evening I'm exhausted, barely breathing Holding on to what I believe And no matter what, you'll never take that from me It's amazing, so amazing, so amazing, so amazing, it's amazing, so amazing, so amazing, so amazing, it's amazing. I'm a monster, I'm a killer, I know I'm wrong, yeah. I'm a problem that I never ever be solved. amazing so amazing so amazing so amazing it's amazing so amazing so amazing so amazing it's amazing i'm a monster i'm a maven i know this world is changing never gave in never gave up i'm the only thing i'm afraid of no It's amazing, so amazing, so amazing, so amazing, 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 it's amazing.
Social Podcast Network.